On today's episode of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast, we'll be talking about the Bruins and the future of the goaltending position, as Jeremy Swayman has made quite an impact in his first two games in the NHL. We'll also take a look at the Bruins' trade deadline options as the deadline comes closer. Deadline is Monday afternoon at 3 o'clock, so we'll give you forwards, defensemen that the Bruins could possibly be looking at as the deadline gets closer. We'll also take a look at the Bruins' recent play. Had a big win last night. We'll take a look at their upcoming schedule, and then we'll also take a look at some news and notes from around the NHL. We'll also get to uh, the Celtics. They seem to be playing a little bit better. We'll get into that. They host the Timberwolves tonight, so we'll talk about that game. Um, Talk about the uh, health of the team and how that that's going to be very important for the team going forward as there are less than 20 games left in the NBA season. We will also get to some news and notes from around the league. We will also get to the Red Sox as they have started their season. We'll give you kind of an update on how they're doing. Got an off day today. They play Baltimore tomorrow. We'll talk about their play to open the season. We'll also take a look at their upcoming schedule and some news and notes from around baseball. Uh, we will also get to some NFL. There was some news Last week, there was a trade. There's some uh, rumors swirling about Julian Edelman, so we'll get to that. We'll also get to uh, some college sports, too, and some professional soccer with uh, men and women. Uh, Revolution have their season starting soon, and the National Women's Soccer League uh, begins play tonight. So, let's go. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Garrett Hayden. And today, ladies and gentlemen, we got a lot to get to. Uh, a lot of Bruins. Trade deadline is inching closer. Uh, I'll talk about the uh, Celtics 2, Red Sox season underway. But before we do that and jump into it, as always, you can follow the podcast on Twitter and on Facebook, you can uh, listen on Apple Podcasts. And on Spotify, you can read some of my uh, written content at Garrett Hayden Sports Media. put out a new article this week, uh, so please go check that out. Uh, also have my other podcast that I do with uh, two of my best friends, A Breath of Fresh Life. Uh, we recorded a new episode this week, so go check that out as well. as a really fun conversation. Uh, always fun to get to talk about camp on uh, on a podcast. So uh, let's get to it. Let's get to the Bruins. Uh, big win last night. Another uh, Jeremy Swayman Jeremy Swayman victory. So um, obviously, goaltending has been kind of an interesting uh, point of emphasis for the Bruins this season, and obviously not intentionally. Um, you know, obviously going into the season, you figure that you know it's Raskin Halak. You know, maybe there's some games that Vladar gets in, you know, if there's something that comes up and, 
you know, unfortunately things have come up. You know, Tuka Rask is still dealing with a back issue. Uh, Yaroslav Halak is, you know, on the COVID list right now, um, has been on the list for a few days. So, um, you know, not sure what that means. Does he have a positive test? You know, we really don't know. The NHL is, you know, pretty playing the COVID things pretty close to the chest about, you know, whether guys are on the list, you know, what their symptoms are. So, you know, we'll figure it out. But um, the Bruins obviously have gotten some good goaltending from Vladar and from Jeremy Swayman, who picked up his second win in the NHL. I mean, he was he was fantastic um, in that Philadelphia game. Um, I thought he was better than he was last night. I mean, no, nothing wrong with how he played last night. You know, gave up a couple goals, you know, gave up a couple goals on, on, a, on, on five on threes, which... You know, not going to hold that against them. You know, look, uh, judging how how much talent the Washington Capitals can put out there on a five on three, but you know, I really thought that he was great. You know, he's been really good. You know, Vladar has been really solid, and you know, I said this last week that you know this is an interesting look into what the Bruins' future could be, and you know, the future is possibly here a lot sooner than we thought. But you know, I think that it's po- it it should be mostly positive that you have these two young goalies who really weren't really sh- you really weren't sure what you were going to get you know you can say all the things about you know where they're drafted how much success they've had in the AHL how much success they've had in college for you know certain for c- certain goalies you know Swayman had tremendous success at the University of Maine you know Vladar was a pretty solid goalie in Providence but you kind of never know and I think that looking at how these two guys have performed, you know, really should, you know, ease any type of concerns that you had about, you know, the future of the position. Now, it is very early. You know, you look at Swayman and Vladar have only played six games combined, um, have only started six games combined. So, you know, I think that we need to be careful before we start saying, okay, this guy definitely is the future. Obviously, it's outstanding how much and how well he's played, you know, but, and a perfect example, and, you know, I've heard about this a few times, that, you know, you look at a guy like Carter Hart, was really good out of the gate in Philadelphia, but this season he's probably one of the worst goalies in the league. So, you know, I think that you have to kind of hold your horses before you're ready to be like, okay, this guy's ready to be a number one starter, and, Let's put all our chips in this basket. Um, But I think it does tell you that I think this summer, the Bruins probably are going to have to think pretty hard about the position because both Tuka Rask and Yaroslav Halak are free agents, you know, at the end of the season. So, you know, I think that looking at how well Swayman has played and how well Vladar has played, it it might force the Bruins' hand that they might not be able to bring both guys back. And I think that, you know, considering the age of both of those guys, I think that it really only makes sense to bring back one guy. And you let one of the young guys, Swayman or Vladar, be the backup goalie for the entirety of next season. And then they're ready to be the starter after next season. So I think that me personally, I would like to see them bring Tuka Rask back, you know, because I think Halak, as good as he's been here with the Bruins, you know, with the 1A, 1B with Rask, I think Tuka's kind of been your better goalie, and I think he kind of deserves to stay here, you know, and he kind of deserves another contract, you know, whether that's more than a year, 
you know, I think is kind of up for debate. You know, I don't think that it makes sense to keep him around more than a year or two. You know, I think something like a similar contract like Henrik Lundqvist got with the Capitals. Now, obviously, he's not been able to play this season. Um, but I think something like that, you know, a year for about three or four million or perhaps two. Um, so I think it's it's great that you have seen some you know, good play by guys in the organization, because I think the Bruins honestly have had some trouble in the last number of years developing a good, solid, you know, young goalie. You know, they've had issues with certain guys, and I think that it's good to see that Swayman and Vladar have responded well, you know, really in a season where the Bruins really can't afford to have bad goaltending. So, you know, it's tremendous to see the two guys playing so well. But I do just want to say, and this is something that has come up uh, after this, another good performance by Swayman, is some people jumping on the, you know, let's get rid of Rask bandwagon that, you know, Rask shouldn't have the net when he comes back. I'm not even going to address it because it's coming from people that, you know, I'm not even going to tell you their names because you can figure it out yourself. Uh, But... I just think that that's completely disrespectful. It's completely missing the point, you know, and it's just like, it's two games for Jeremy Swayman. It's four games for Dan Vladar. Let's calm down before we start talking about they should take Rask's job. When Tuka's healthy and he's good, it's his job. There's no debate about this. We should not even be having a conversation. I don't care how well the goal, how well the young goalies play. It's not up for debate. And I just, I think I'm getting tired of some people trying to, you know, connect the dots between leaving the bubble last year and the fact that, oh, he's hurt or disinterested or whatever you want to say. And I just think that if you're going to, if you're going to do that, you should be ashamed of yourself. You know, your job is to, you know, Report on the games and report on the team and report how they're doing. Your job is not to speculate. And your job is not to connect the dots like you're a reporter for TMZ. Like, get out of here. I just, I'm so tired of it. Because, and the other thing is, you know, Tuka's well-liked in that room. Guys respect him. Guys really like him. And so I just think it's totally manufactured, the criticism that comes you know, and sure, if you want to say the all the things about oh we can't win big games, whatever, that's fine. But he's well liked in that room, and that's all that matters. So I just, I I don't really have time for this anymore. Where we're going to continue to you know rail on a player and try to run him out of town just because we don't like him, and I think that's what's happening. You know, and I think why don't we just be transparent about this? Why don't we just say? I want Tuka Rask out of town because I don't like him. I don't want him here because I think he's... Why don't we just be transparent about this? Instead of trying to be like, oh, well, you know, the rap, the net shouldn't... Like, get get out of here. I'm not going to even talk about this anymore. Um, so I was really happy with how the Bruins played last night. You know, I really thought that coming into a game against a Washington team that, you know, you oftentimes have had trouble with, uh, maybe not this season. Bruins have actually won twice this season coming into last night's game. And, 
you know, obviously without McAvoy was kind of concerning. I have to say I was a little worried when I first heard that he was, you know, out of uh, the game in Philadelphia the other night um, because my first thought was it's COVID related and, you know, what's going to go on. But it sounds like it's an upper body injury. He was not available last night, probably won't be available tomorrow, but um, kind of. I think wait on that. I think that there could be a word, there could be word on his availability at some point today. Um, but I wouldn't expect that he returns this weekend. You know, maybe he comes back Sunday when they play the Caps again. But um, I think just going back to last night, another really solid performance, a really solid game where you know the leaders on your team really showed up and really you know put their heart into the game. You know, no pun intended, but Brad Marchand should be a contender for the Hart Trophy, for the league MVP. And this season has been really trying for the Bruins. You know, this is a season where they're relying on a lot of younger guys to kind of show what they got and try to, you know, make a name for themselves. And this season's been really bumpy. The Bruins honestly have not had a season like this in a couple of years. But you look at a guy like Marchand, who is constantly you know, leading by example, making big plays, getting guys motivated. And it's just, I know that, you know, there's probably a lot of, you know, red tape about, oh, winning an MVP that, oh, you know, it shouldn't go to him or, you know, whatever it is, you know, but just the way that he's played this season is is just tremendous. Um, And I think that he deserves a lot of, a lot of consideration for that award. Maybe he doesn't win it, you know, maybe it goes to someone else, but I think that just looking at this team this year and all the things that they've gone through, he's been amazing. You know, that unbelievable shorthanded goal last night, 30th shorthanded goal of his career. Um, and the Bruins just were really good. I'm really hoping that, you know, these couple of wins by a rookie goaltender maybe can spark the team. You know, Craig Smith is starting to play better. He's 10 points in his last 10, you know, and I think if the Bruins can continue this good play can string some wins together, you know, finishing in the top three in the division is not out of the question. Um, You know, we'll take a look at the standings in in a little bit, but, you know, this is a team that if they get on a run, you know, look out. Um, And leading into that is, you know, the trade deadline. And perhaps are the Bruins, you know, getting better at at, at the perfect time? Are they you know, turning a leaf by the time they get to the trade deadline? Can they bring in some reinforcements? And can they, you know, keep the, this good juju going? Um, so I think getting into the trade deadline, that's really what I wanted to talk about today. Um, Monday afternoon, 3 o'clock, um, there have been a couple trades already. Uh, Kyle Palmieri and Travis Zajac uh, going to the Islanders for a couple picks, a couple prospects. Um, honestly, I didn't expect that Kyle Palmieri was going to go for that much. You know, I think that the Islanders, you know, not having Anders Lee for the rest of the season um, and realizing that they are a team that, you know, really could go for a deep cup run this season. You know, they went to the conference finals last season. And, you know, I think that they are a group, that they have a group of players that, you know, why not just go for it? Why not be really aggressive? You know, Lou Lamorello is not going to be one to not be aggressive. Um, but yeah, he goes out and gets two, you know, guys that uh, a current, you know, Devils, they're both, you know, Devils guys 
that I believe were there when he was with New Jersey, or at least Sajak was. I'm not sure about the timeline about Paul Meary, because I know that he was traded to New Jersey from Anaheim a number of years back. I don't know if Lou was involved in that. But, you know, anyway, it's a really aggressive move. And I kind of like it for the Islanders, because I think that, you know, again, they're a group that they're in a position that they feel like they can compete for a championship. And, you know, bringing in a player like Paul Meary, who's a really good player, really good goal scorer, you know, and then Zajac, who, believe it or not, still has some value. He's still still is a pretty good face-off guy and, you know, has been around the block. And I think the Islanders probably could use a guy like that. So um, I like the trade. You know, I think the Devils got as much out of it as they possibly could. So I think that that's good. They got a first-round pick, you know, two pretty decent prospects, and then a mid-round pick next year. So I think that, honestly, for both sides, it's a pretty solid trade. Uh, the Kahurik, I think it was... Florida and Chicago made a trade for a couple players. Um, Henrik Borgstrom going to Chicago. Lucas Walmark going to uh, Florida. There were a couple of other players involved in that. But other than that, there have not really been any you know trades yet. But definitely expect some today, maybe this afternoon, maybe this weekend with the deadline Monday. And so I think for the Bruins, the, the standpoint of where they are now, um, I know that there's a lot of conversation about you know, people that want to see Don Sweeney make a move, some people that think that he doesn't make moves, you know, which is just false. You know, he's made trades pretty often, you know, during the trade deadline um, in the last couple of years, you know, got Marcus Johansson and Charlie Coyle two years ago, um, you know, brought in Nick Ritchie, who, you know, wasn't great out of the gate last season after the trade, but has kind of found his footing this season. Um I think that Don Sweeney's made some trades. Some of them have worked. Some of them haven't. You know, you've kind of seen a mixed bag. But I think that, you know, the idea that he doesn't make trades is just ludicrous. Um, I expect the Bruins to do something. I think that they should. Um, and I know that there are some people that think that, okay, you're not a cup contender this year. You know, don't do anything crazy or stand pat. And I just think that that's... I just think that's a crazy rationale, to be perf perfectly honest. You know, I think that, okay, while you might not be a cup contender, while you might not be a team that, you know, people are going to put on their list to expect to win the Stanley Cup, you know, choosing to stand bad or choosing to just kind of take a defeatist standpoint, I think is kind of silly. You know, I think that, you know, the Bruins can still make a couple of solid moves you know, without doing anything stupid or anything crazy, you know, and they can, these moves can improve the team and get the team to start playing better. I just think that to use that as, a, as, a, as an argument to why you shouldn't do anything, I think is a little weird because there's a huge amount of gray area between being a legit cup contender and then being, you know, sellers or standing pat or whatever you want to do, you know, the Bruins are going to be a playoff team. They're going to go to the playoffs and, you know, will be involved in some big playoff battles. And I just think that you should want to bring in some reinforcements to try to see what you can do in the playoffs. I also think that the Bruins kind of have some players that they should get rid of. And, you know, the Bruins have tried everything they can with certain players and they should be open to trading certain guys. Um, Anders Bjork, I think, really is the number one player, in my opinion, that 
should be traded. I think that the Bruins have tried everything they can with him. They've tried him at multiple positions. They've tried him with many different players and many different roles, and it just hasn't really worked. You know, I think the Bruins, again, brought him in to be a goal scorer, and he's never been able to do that consistently. Now, he does have value, and I've said this before. He's got value with his speed. He's a solid penalty killer. You know, is a really is a good player that I think could benefit from a change of scenery. Um, I just think that there's maybe there was too much expectation on him here in Boston and he just never was consistent enough, you know, and I think that there's some other young guys that kind of come to mind too. Now, you know, I think Jake DeBrusque, I've gone back and forth on whether they should trade him. You know, I think that the Bruins probably will hang on to him, you know, unless some really good player comes up and, you know, let's say they want to get Taylor Hall, you know, they might have to trade him. And I'll be honest, I'm not against that idea of trading him because I think that, again, he's a player that has been given many opportunities and hasn't been consistent enough. You know, at times, and I I talked to someone about this yesterday, at at times he shows flashes of being a legitimate top six player you know, that can net you close to 30 goals a year. But then there are other times where he just, you know, isn't noticeable. Now, I know that he's had COVID, and I know that he's been out for a couple weeks, but it's just like there are too many games in the last, you know, 18 months or so where it's just like he just doesn't really seem to do anything and, you know, doesn't get chances consistently, doesn't score goals consistently. You know, that's the biggest thing. So, those are two guys that I wouldn't be surprised if the Bruins trade. You know, Vakaninen could be someone else that they could deal. I don't see them trading Lausanne or Zaborl, you know, just because the guys, they's, they've been in Boston. And these are the two guys that, you know, you kind of expected were going to get more ice time, that these were the players that the Bruins were thinking of getting more ice time when they decided to, you know, let Chara go. So I don't think that either one of them get traded. I think Vakaninen is someone that could get traded. Um, Jack Ashan, possibly. Um, you know, I, I think about Carson Kuhlman, but I just feel like I'm not sure what kind of value other teams would see in him. Um, so I think the Bruins should do something, but I think it needs to be within reason. You know, I think that the, the, the first name is obvious, Taylor Hall. You know, I think that that's someone the Bruins probably should look at and possibly could look at, you know, re-signing him after they trade for him, you know, signing him to a longer-term deal. I know some people might not be in favor of that, but, you know, I think that's probably the big fish. You know, that's probably the player that a lot of people are going to be interested in. Do the Bruins get him? Possibly. Um, But I also think that there's some value in some other players that may be available. Now, I'll say this, that some of the names that I've looked at in terms of you know, trade targets, it's a lot of guys that are going to be free agents at the end of the season. And I think that that, to me, makes a lot of sense because you have the expansion draft this this summer. And, you know, if the Bruins bring in another player with, you know, term on their contract, that's another player they potentially have to protect in the draft. So this is why I looked at a lot of guys that are going to be free agents you know, this offseason so that the Bruins could bring a player in, see if they can help, you know, and then they don't have to protect them uh, once the expansion draft comes. 
So, obviously, Taylor Hall is a free agent and is someone that um, is not is not signed through next season. You know, signed that $8 million deal with uh, Buffalo in the offseason. I think that he's a reasonable target. Um, another name that has been floated around also from Buffalo is Sam Reinhardt. Um, now, this is a guy who is the second overall pick in 2014, is kind of gone under the radar, I would say, in Buffalo, but he's young. You know, he's 25, and he's been a pretty consistent goal scorer um, in the NHL, believe it or not. I know some people don't really believe that, but you look at his goal totals, you know, since he really broke into the league, you know, played nine games in his in his unofficial rookie season, um, but then his first season in 15-16 had 23 goals. You know, followed that up with 17 goals the next year, then 25, then 22, then 22 again, um, and has 13 goals this season and has been, you know, one of the better players for Buffalo this season. So I think that he's a player that the Bruins absolutely could be in on. Um, I think if they miss out on Hall, he's someone that I absolutely think the Bruins could bring in. Um, And I think he would fit pretty well. You know, he's a guy that can play in on the right wing, can probably fit on Krejci's line or... You know, if the Bruins want to play him on the top line or even the third line, you know, he's a player that can go in any different directions. He can also play center, too. You know, if the Bruins feel like they want to move Coyle to the wing at one point. Um, So I think he's a guy that would make a lot of sense. Uh, Connor Garland is another player that uh, his name has been floated around a little bit. Both of these guys, uh, Reinhardt and Garland, are going to be restricted free agents. So possibility that the Bruins could be able to re-sign them. Um, but then again, I think you also have to be careful with the expansion draft. But I think Reinhardt and Garland, both guys that can come in and help, both guys that can play the wing, can play center if you need them to. Um, and I think that wouldn't probably wouldn't cost a lot. Uh, the Bruins not aren't really a team that has a lot of assets to offer. Um, you know, some of the names that I mentioned, they do have picks. I think that the Bruins probably would like to not trade their first-round pick, um, so that's what makes me think they probably won't be able to bring Hall in unless they're willing to trade a first-round pick. Uh, Bobby Ryan's another name that I think would be interesting. I think he would be a name that if the Bruins miss out on a lot of their targets that they could bring in. You know, he's on a an expiring contract, not making a lot of money. You know, is someone that could come in and just kind of be a goal scorer. And I know that he's not the goal scorer that he was in Anaheim, but he can still give you a little bit of value. Um, and could also be helpful on the power play, too. Um, Alex Ayafalo is another name that I heard the other day uh, from the Kings. You know, he's not really a goal scorer per se. You know, he would be someone that the Bruins probably would play on the third line, similar to how they how they would try to use uh, Bjork. Um, that's another player, though, that, like, I don't think I'd be super happy with because I think the Bruins need to find a legit top six goal scorer. Um, and I think some of those names before, you know, obviously Hall can go in there, uh, Reinhardt can go in there, Garland can go in there. I think that that's, those are targets that I would really love the Bruins to look at. Um, I also think defense the Bruins need to look at too, you know, and I think that this is a position that they don't necessarily need to go get like a big time player like Matthias Ekholm. And honestly, I don't even know if he's going to be available based on how Nashville has been playing recently. Um, so he might not even be on the market. Um, so I think that other guys that would be interesting to look at, Alex Goligoski from 
Uh, the Coyotes would be interesting. He is older, uh, but he is a guy that can play, you know, pretty heavy minutes. You know, his average time on ice this season um, is over 22 minutes. So he gives you someone that you could put in, you know, and he could play that top four or top six, you know, maybe that second pair or that third pair and can be someone who can just give you minutes and give you solid minutes. And I think that, you know, the Bruins need someone who can come in and play top four minutes and can do it consistently because the Bruins have had some trouble uh, with injuries. But I think he would be a tremendous fit. You know, yes, he's 35, but again, he's on an expiring contract. Bruins probably wouldn't bring him back, but he could be someone that could, you know, fill a role and just fill that role for, you know, half a season. Um, Dmitry Kulikov from the Devils was a name that I think we heard last week um, when the Bruins were rumored to be, you know, talking about Kyle Palmieri. Uh, he was another name that came up. He's a left-shot defenseman, uh, can also play a decent amount of minutes, is playing um, 19 and a half minutes this season. He's played 37 games, only has two assists, but, you know, is a guy who's a decent puck mover and a guy who can eat minutes, you know, and I think that that's really what the Bruins should be looking at. John Merrill is another name from the uh, Red Wings. He's a very cheap guy, but he plays a lot of minutes. Uh, David Savard would be interesting too. I know that he has um, a, he has an injury situation, so the Bruins might not be looking at him. But that, again, he's another guy who can play a good amount of minutes. He is a right shot. I don't think it necessarily matters you know, which, what shot it is. I think the Bruins would prefer a left shot. Um, Alex Edler from the Canucks, I think also would be an interesting name, you know, does have a decent amount of money in his deal. But again, a lot of these guys are on expiring contracts. So, you know, the Bruins really wouldn't have to worry about them past this season, you know, unless they really wanted to. Brandon Montour is another name. Um, he's making a little bit of money, but he's a guy that can play both both sides left and right and is playing and is averaging over 20 minutes a night. So I think the Bruins in terms of you know, guys who can play 20 minutes or there, or or there, or thereabouts, um, could really be huge because right now, I mean, they're forced to play Connor Clifton, you know, upwards of 20 minutes a night, which doesn't really ex- doesn't really excite me very much because he's a guy that makes a lot of mistakes, and you know, Kevin Miller's another guy that played a lot of minutes last night, but he's not a guy that you can really rely on to play consistently 20 minutes a night. So I think that the Bruins, should they look in the trade market, try to get a defenseman and try to get a wing. Um, so any of those names, I think, would make a lot of sense for the Bruins. Uh, Mike Riley in Ottawa is uh, the last name I wanted to mention. Um, he's a left-shot defenseman, can play a good amount of minutes, has 19 points, all assists this season. So, you know, he's another guy that the Bruins could look at, a very reasonable, you know, acquisition. I really think that all these names that I brought up are you know, fairly reasonable names that the, it wouldn't cost the Bruins a lot, you know, that the Bruins don't have the deepest prospect pool, but, you know, could bring in some of these names with a package that maybe looks like Anders Bjork, a draft pick, and maybe someone else. You know, I think if they go get Taylor Hall, probably is going to cost them, you know, Bjork or DeBrusque, a first round pick and probably another prospect. So if that's the route the Bruins go, they're probably going to you know, give up a lot, but I really think Taylor Hall would be a solid fit uh, with this Bruins team and maybe even could be someone that the Bruins want to bring back past this season. Um, so I, I think that 
the Bruins, while they're maybe not the biggest title contender, they still could make a couple trades to kind of bring in some reinforcements so that they can try to be a solid playoff team. I just think that there's the energy behind the we're not a cup contender argument is that there's kind of just like, okay, we're not a cup contender, so why should we even try to, you know, make a big splash or make any moves? And it's just like, I, I, I understand that, but at a certain point, you're going to be a playoff team. And to just not do anything at the trade deadline, I think, is a little bit it's a little bit ridiculous. Like, I think you should want to do something. doesn't necessarily mean that you want them to do something big like trade for Taylor Hall. But they could still trade for someone like Sam Reinhardt or Connor Garland and, you know, Dmitry Kulikov, and it probably doesn't cost them a lot. Um, so we'll see. Deadline's on Monday. We'll take a look around the rest of the NHL now. Um, the um, Trying to see what else. So the Canucks obviously have been a team that's um, having a lot of COVID issues right now. I think it's almost their entire roster has cases, and some of the cases are variants. And, you know, it was brought up, again, you know, the idea that this really has not been – super safe, but I honestly don't know what's going to happen with the rest of their season. You know, the Canucks aren't necessarily in a playoff spot, but um, I'm just going to be interested to see how that plays out. You know, hopefully they can get back to playing at some point this season, but um, it's kind of been a little bit of a disaster, and I think that the league is kind of, I don't know if running out of time is the right word, but, you know, I don't know how they're going to be able to play the rest of their games. You know, maybe they'll be able to play some, but I have a hard time believing they're going to be able to play all 56. Um, I'm not sure how many games they've played already, um, how many games they have left, but I think it could be a situation where maybe they don't play all the games. Um, Tanner Pearson did sign a new contract yesterday. Um, so there are 21 players in their roster that have uh, tested positive. Um, Carey Price is out for a little bit for the Canadians. Um Steven Stamkos suffered an injury last night in Tampa Bay's win. Uh, so we'll take a look at the standings real quick. In the Central, you have Carolina leading the Central with 57 points. Uh, Carolina is now tied with Toronto um, atop the league lead for points. Um, Carolina has just been really good this season. They've won three straight, 7 out of 10. Um, they've been one of the best teams in the league. They've been really, really efficient. Um, offensively, just have so many different guys that can beat you. Sounds a lot like Tampa Bay, you know. So I think Tampa Bay does have the edge in goaltending, but Carolina's just been a wagon this season. Uh, Florida's been really good too. You know, they've not been a team to take lightly either. You know, really that Central has been a pretty exciting division to watch. And I mentioned Nashville. You know, they've been red hot, nine wins in ten games. A lot of people a couple weeks ago thought that they were going to be sellers. Now it looks like they could be in position to be buyers as they're, you know, in a playoff spot. And it looks, they look to be pretty comfortably in that playoff spot as uh, Columbus has lost a number in a row. Chicago's maybe not playing as well as they did a couple weeks ago, uh, but Nashville's making some noise. So they are in that fourth and final playoff spot in the central. In the north, Toronto still leads in the north. And then you have Edmonton in second and Winnipeg in third, and Montreal a distant fourth. Um, 
So Vancouver, you know, now looking at the games that they've played, they've played 37, which means that they have 21 or 19 games left. So really not sure how they're going to be able to finish their season. But, you know, again, they're eight points back of fourth place Montreal. and They're even in games. So, you know, in all likelihood, they probably are not going to catch up um, in the playoffs. So it'll be interesting to see how they can finish their season if they end up playing all 56 games or if they end up just playing, you know, 50 or 52 or something. Um, Colorado is on top in the West. They've been playing great hockey recently. Um, Vegas has kind of leveled off a little bit. Um, Arizona has started to play a little bit better. They're now in a playoff spot. Uh, The West, I have to say, looked very close a couple of days ago, but now Arizona has um, gotten some space from St. Louis and San Jose. St. Louis is a team that's really fallen off. They are three points out of a playoff spot. Um, they're a team that I think is in an interesting spot at the trade deadline um, as they are playing really not very well. Um, it was interesting. The Sharks, I think, at one point were a point or two out of the playoffs. Uh, they're now five back of Arizona, so they're a team to keep an eye on at the deadline as well. I'm curious to see what they end up doing. And now in the East, the Islanders still on top of the East, two points ahead of Washington, four points ahead of Pittsburgh. Bruins in the last playoff spot, but um, have a pretty healthy advantage over Philadelphia and the Rangers. Uh, Bruins still with two games in hand on both Philadelphia and the Rangers and are six points up on the Flyers, seven on the Rangers. So uh, things look pretty good for the Bruins now that they've won a couple. Um, they've won six of their last 10. They've gotten points in eight of their last 10. So you know the points are coming while the wins may not be necessarily coming. The Bruins are getting points and they're starting to play a little bit better. Um, and it is worth noting, you know, the Bruins are just four points back at Pittsburgh with three games in hand. You know, they have three games in hand on the Islanders and the Capitals. So, you know, if the Bruins can take advantage of those games in hand, you know, it might start to make for an interesting conversation where they can get. And so that's why I also think that if the Bruins just start to get hot and play well, they could absolutely catapult up the East standings. That's another reason why I think they should kind of be somewhat aggressive at the deadline, because if they bring in some reinforcements and they really work, you know, it's not out of the question to think the Bruins could challenge for the third or the second seed in the East, you know, and really kind of put themselves in better position. Because as of right now, they'd be set up with a first round matchup with the Islanders. And that's not really something I'm super excited about based on how the Islanders have done against the Bruins this season. But, you know, don't count out the Bruins, man. Starting to play a little bit better, but be interested to see what they do at the deadline. Obviously, we'll have a full breakdown of any moves that they make on next week's show. Um, So let's get into the Celtics. You know, honestly, it's kind of more of the same with this team. Um, I have to say that, you know, the play has been a little bit better as of late. You know, when we last... Um, had our show, I think it was before they played Houston. Celtics have won three of their last four. They only lost coming against the Sixers um, the other night in which the Celtics could not really do anything. Offensively really struggled. Uh, Joel Embiid, you know, did what he usually does. Um, Robert Williams got an early foul trouble and the Celtics really just couldn't recover um, from that game. But they did have a solid win against the Knicks. I know what's against the Knicks. I know that that team is you know, in a similar spot as the Celtics, but I think anytime you can get a win like that where it kind of looked like it was 
you know, falling away from them a little bit. The Celtics were able to rebound, make some plays down the stretch um, and get the win. But, you know, it's just kind of, it's hard to know what you're going to expect from this team. And, you know, I think that we need to kind of be aware of what this team is now, you know, not being really a top contender in the East, but kind of just being a somewhat, you know, average team that, I think people need to kind of start being aware of this is what the team is now. This team's not just going to magically start playing better. Like they're probably going to end up being a similar type team come playoff time. Um, But I think that, you know, there should be something to be said about the health of the team that it's kind of gotten away from them at all various points this season. You know, Jason Tatum got COVID in the middle of the season and, you know, really took him a while to get back to normal. Like, I think he's pretty back to normal now. You know, there's some people that think he's not consistent enough, which is just insane to me. I mean, he's averaging 25 a game. I don't know how you look at that and say that he's not bringing it every night. I really don't know what you're watching other than maybe the box score. Um, But I think the the team is what they're going to be. You know, your record, you are what your record says you are, and it says that the Celtics are kind of a middling, mediocre 500 team now. Does this mean that the Celtics probably go home in the first round? Maybe, but I think that, you know, now with the team kind of getting back to somewhat full health, you know, maybe we start to see them play a little bit better. You know, Romeo Langford has honestly looked pretty good in the couple games that he's played. You know, shot it pretty well as a really solid defender, and, you know, I think that could lead you to believe that maybe the Celtics do keep him past this season. Um, But I really have been impressed with how well he's played. I thought Tristan Thompson came into the lineup and played pretty well the other night. Um, unfortunately, Evan Fournier is on the COVID list, so um, Celtics probably will not have him available um, at any point this week. Um, Celtics closed the week with games against the Timberwolves tonight at the Garden, finish their um, homestand, and then they will go on the West Coast for a couple games in Denver, Portland, and the Lakers. Um, but I think that you know, you're just trying to take the positives out of this season. And, you know, it's kind of just been a lost season. It's kind of been a bad season. But I think that there still are positives that you can try to take out of this team and, you know, see if anything changes in the playoffs. You know, I still think that the Celtics could absolutely finish in fourth or fifth in the conference. You know, they don't have to win eight eight in a row or 10 out of 11 or something like that. All they have to do is just kind of start winning with a little bit more consistent consistency, and they probably could be able to get into that four spot. You know, with how the Eastern Conference has been this season, it's kind of been all over the place. Um, but it's good to see Robert Williams getting the minutes that he's getting. You know, I think that growing pains probably are still going to continue to happen, as it might, you know, be games like the 76ers game where he just picks up fouls uh, really quickly. But you know, I think it's just it's part of him being a pro and him being a starter. I think the Celtics are some something like 5-2 and two since he started games. I think Langford may have started the last game. So, you know, guys are maybe starting to get back into their into their roles a little bit. You know, Jalen Brown has been tremendous. He was tremendous in the Knicks game. Um, had a tough game against the Sixers, but followed it up with a great game the other night. So, um, just for the Celtics is just to try to play with that consistency. Try to play with the energy and the urgency that's expected. So, 
you know, I still think that the Celtics have a ways to go, you know, that probably will beat bad teams most nights. Um, but it'll be really interesting to see when they go on that West Coast trip and play some good teams like Denver and the Lakers. I know the Lakers are missing some guys, um, but it should be a good test to see where this team can be at um, as we get closer to the end of the season. I think there's something like 19 games left. So the Celtics are kind of running out of time a little bit to, you know, vault up to that fourth spot in the conference, but I still think they can do it. You know, I still think that and get everyone healthy. Hopefully you can get Fournier back by next week, um, and you can maybe try to get the team playing with a little bit of consistency in terms of who you have available. The Celtics really have not had any consistency all season with having guys available. I mean, even even when they started the season 8-3, and three, that's all without Kemba Walker. So it just seems like every time the injury report comes out, there's someone else on the COVID list. There's someone else that you know, had an injury the other night and isn't available. It's just like any chance of the Celtics building any kind of momentum just ends with the consistency of whether guys are available or not, you know? And I don't want to make it sound like I'm making excuses because every team in the NBA has gone through, you know, COVID to an extent, but there are certain teams that have been affected more than other teams. You know, there was that days missed that the Celtics, I think, lead the NBA in player days missed um, due to COVID. You know, and there are other teams that have not missed many games, have not had many guys that have tested positive. And honestly, I think it's just by chance. I really don't think there's anything to be said, oh, the Celtics don't care or, you know, whatever people want to write, write in the globe. But um, I think that, you know, again, trying to take the positives out of this team for the for the foreseeable future for the rest of the season and into the playoffs because, you know, I know that it's been a lost season. It's not gone the way that everyone has expected, but I still think that there's something in this team that, you know, they, they're never out of it, you know, and I think that this team very well, if they get into a first-round matchup that they can take advantage of, they might, you know, they might surprise some people. You know, I think that often this is a team that is counted out very quickly and you have a lot of guys who kind of been proving guys wrong their entire career. I mean, look at Marcus Smart. So um, it will be interesting to see uh, what's next for the Celtics as we take a look a little bit further at their schedule. Um, Obviously talked about the West Coast trip that they're going to go on. Um, but then the Celtics return home uh, next weekend. They'll play the Warriors, the Bulls, and uh, Phoenix after their West Coast road trip that takes them to Denver on Sunday, Portland next Tuesday, and then the Lakers next Thursday. Uh, the Celtics still down the stretch, you know, do visit Brooklyn one more time. Kevin Durant's back for the war, back for the um, back for the Nets. Celtics do play to play against Charlotte uh, in a couple weeks. Actually, play Charlotte uh, two more times before the end of the season. They play Miami at the very end of the season. Um, and then they'll play the Knicks May 16th. That will be their last game of the season at the moment, um, assuming that there's no postponements that happen. Um, but it's interesting. You know, it's, I think, a lot more home, a lot more away games at the very end of the season. Celtics close the season on the road in five of their last seven games of the season. So, Definitely something to keep an eye on, but, you know, it'll be interesting to see when we talk to you guys next, probably after the West Coast road trip, see where the Celtics are at. Um, so that probably is 
probably it for the Celtics and the NBA. We will now talk about the Red Sox, and they've been kind of an interesting point of discussion over the last week or so as they've started the season, obviously had that rain out before the opener, and um, really nothing went according to plan in that first series against the Orioles. Uh, Red Sox were swept. The offense struggled, uh, only scored four runs in that opening series. So, you know, it really looked like the Celtics were, or, excuse me, the Red Sox were heading into yet another early season black hole that, you know, they're heading into another early part of the season where they can't get any wins and they're going to have to be playing catch up. Um, then that all changed. The Red Sox um, bats came alive and they swept the Tampa Bay Rays, played some really good baseball, um, a couple of really good pitching performances, and then a great walk-off win where the Red Sox came back a couple of times um, in extra innings to win 6-5. to five. So um, things are looking up for the Red Sox. They got another win last night, made it four straight um, against the Orioles in their home opener. Actually, it was yesterday afternoon. Um, and so, you know, it's kind of an uneven start, but I think things are looking pretty good for the Sox right now. Uh, J.D. Martinez is knocking the cover off the ball. Um, he's been outstanding, you know, really has made up for the tough season that he had last year, but he's been tremendous. <clears throat> Christian Vasquez has been awesome, has hit a couple home runs, including a tying home run in that uh, walk-off win on, I think it was Tuesday night. Um, so, you know, he's been hitting really, really well. And I think, honestly, the starting pitching, with the exception of Garrett Richards, um, has been really solid. You know, Tanner Houck was really solid in his in his uh, first game. You know, Nick Pavetta was really good in that, for, in that 11-2 win against the Rays in that first game of the series. Um, and then Eduardo Rodriguez made his return. Um, obviously, we talked about him having dead arms, so it wasn't available for the opening day start, uh, but did make his first start of the season last night or yesterday afternoon, and the Red Sox won 7-3, got a couple home runs from Rafael Devers and Kike Hernandez. Um, but, you know, I have to say it's been a welcome sign that the Red Sox are playing pretty well at the start of the season um, as they've won four straight games. And, you know, obviously, bad start. Everyone's ready to say, oh, look at this. Heim Bloom's roster doesn't work. You know, it's just, I don't know, it's just... And I got frustrated by this this morning, but it's just like, of course, you know, you have everyone with their preconceived notions about what the Red Sox are and what they think the Red Sox are going to be and, you know, want to, when they play bad, see, you know, look at it like, oh, see, like, look, they're bad. I told you they were going to be bad, you know, but then they start playing better and it's like, oh, well, let's wait and see. It's only been seven games, and it's just, it's that type of negativity that I really can't stand in, you know, people that cover this Red Sox team, but really just people that cover, you know, all the teams in Boston and in New England, that it's just like, if things go bad, see, I told you it was going to go bad. If things go well, oh, they just got lucky. Oh, it's not really, you know, anything to be excited about, and it's just... I don't know where that comes from, and it just is really starting to irritate me. Um, but it's okay to say that the Red Sox are starting off pretty well. It's okay to say that they've played well in their four-game winning streak. You know, it's okay to say that they've played well. You don't have to, 
It doesn't have to be, oh, they're going to go win the World Series or, oh, they're the worst team in baseball. Big amount of gray area between those two things. Um, but I just think it's just a welcome sight to see them playing well, you know, and to see them string together some wins. And maybe the season isn't all that great. You know, maybe this is what the season looks like, that they lose three straight, win four straight, and it looks like this a lot of the season. And they win, you know, 83 games and miss the playoffs. But, you know, I just think that, again, people have to temper their expectations for this team, you know, and realize that they might not win 90 games. They might not go to the playoffs, you know, but there can still be successes that you can find. Um, I think I'm just glad that they are not starting the season like one and six or two and five or, you know, three and eight or however they started the season last season, you know, that they're playing well and they're pitching well. The hitting is you know, come along after, you know, kind of not being there in the first couple of games. And look, this season's long. This season is 162 games. The offense isn't always going to perform well. You know, the pitching isn't always going to perform well. You know, you probably will go through stretches where you struggle to get good, consistent pitching. You'll probably go through stretches where um, the team just struggles to hit and, you know, it's just the nature of the season. It's the nature of the 162. It's the nature of, you know, not being a 60-game season like last season. You know, last season was, you know, I think to some people, just kind of a like a practice season, if you will, um, because it was only 60 games, you know, basically a third of what the typical season is. But, you know, I just think that for the Red Sox, playing at a decent level is just huge for them, you know, and it doesn't really matter what point in the season it's happening just to see them playing well is, is good to see. Um, and I think just kind of moving past the X's and O's of things that are good to see, you know, it was great seeing Eduardo Rodriguez back pitching yesterday um, and, you know, earlier in the season when the Orioles came to Fenway um, for that opening series and that opening day, it was great to see that a lot of Red Sox guys, you know, were happy to see Trey Mancini on the field um, after not playing last season due to colon cancer. And or I think I think that's what it was. Um, but I think just seeing the humanity of, of sports and seeing that you know, guys realizing that, you know, this game, you know, not just baseball, but any sport, it can be taken away from you, you know, at any point. And I just think, like, the road back for both Trey and Eduardo was just, it's just great to see that two guys that, you know, are really serious and really good about their craft and, you know, to have something like that happen where, you know, you don't expect it to and, you know, you have to work really hard to get back to where you want to be. And so um, I just have tremendous respect for both of those guys for, you know, working their way back and then, you know, seeing guys being happy for you. Um, it's really, really nice to see, you know, Xander Bogart's kind of given Trey a hug after getting to first base in one of those games um, and just really recognizing all, all the, all the, like everything that he went through. And now that he's back, you know, it's just good to see. So, um Good to have Eduardo back. You know, had a pretty solid outing yesterday. Uh, five innings, I think, gave up three runs. But, you know, hopefully he can pitch at a level that we all expect him to. Um, so 
I think looking at the rest of the Red Sox schedule probably makes sense for the you know beginning portion of the season. They are off today, as the Orioles actually had their home opener um, yesterday, and the Red Sox were able to win seven to three. So the Red Sox will continue their series in Baltimore tomorrow night, um, and then they will play Sunday afternoon in Baltimore, and then the Red Sox will go out uh, to Minnesota. They will play a four-game set against the Twins, um, and then they will come home for a what looks like a 10-game homestand toward the end of the month against the White Sox, the Blue Jays, and the Seattle Mariners. So um, it'll be interesting. You know, I think Minnesota and Chicago will be pretty good tests for the Red Sox. You know, if you listen to uh, my interview with Eric Bellier yesterday, um, we really think that both Minnesota and Chicago are going to be pretty good teams this year. Um, I do also just want to say thank you for uh, thank you to Eric for uh, coming on the show last week. It was really a fun conversation, really um, good to hear some baseball uh, talk as uh, baseball is back. So, um yeah, it will be you know an interesting test for the Red Sox. So they're on the road, Baltimore and Minnesota, their next two uh, series, if you will. So I'll probably talk to you before they start that homestand against the uh, White Sox. Um, so I think taking a look around the rest of Major League Baseball, you know, not really a lot of crazy news. You know, there's some teams that are performing pretty well, some teams that are, you know, not playing great. Uh, Craig Kimbrell. Got his 350th career save yesterday. Um, you know, taking a look at the standings, again, it is very early, so it's hard to, you know, really take stock into the standings. But it is interesting that no one in the American League East has really played great, you know, to start the season. Everyone has kind of started the same way. Red Sox and Orioles are tied for first in the East at 4-3. and three. Minnesota's 5-2 and two in the Central. You know, Houston's had a really good start. They're 6-1. and one. Um, Oakland has really struggled out of the gate. They're one and seven. Um, the Angels are five and two. Shohei Otani had a historic performance on Sunday night as he uh, became the first player to pitch and hit in the same game in almost 120 years. So uh, that was really impressive to see. Um, he's a guy that has really um, had a lot of you know expectation on him when he came into the league. Um, so really hope that that continues to go well for him. Um, in the National League, Philadelphia is off to a good start. Uh, the Reds are off to a good start. St. Louis and the Dodgers are also off to good starts. Um, Eric's Mets are 2-2, two and two, so they're off to a decent start. Had a little bit of a controversial ending uh, in yesterday afternoon's game as they walked off on a bases-loaded hit-by-pitch in which Michael Conforto kind of on purpose uh, stuck his arm out into the strike zone, got hit with the pitch, and, you know, you're not really allowed to do that, but uh, the Mets get the win, so I should be curious to hear um, Eric's thoughts about that, but uh, that was kind of wild yesterday, seeing all the takes on Twitter. Um, but, you know, interesting, very interesting to see some teams opening up well, some teams not. Um, but again, you know, hard to really take stock in the first six, seven games of the season, but um, hey, it is good to see the Red Sox playing well, and it's kind of okay to admit it. I know that it's hard for some people, but, you know, hey, at least they're fun. At least they have that fun, you know, shopping cart home run celebration. That's one of the funniest things I've seen in the Red Sox dugout in a very long time. Uh, 
But it's just good to see them having fun, good to see them playing well, and hopefully they continue that with uh, two games against Baltimore um, this weekend. Uh, we also have some breaking news coming into the show. I don't have any, like, music or, like, oh, breaking news. Uh, maybe I should play around with that. Uh, but anyway, just got word that uh, Bobby Ryan, a potential trade target um, for not just the Bruins, but any team, is uh, out for the rest of the season um, with his injury. So probably will not be someone to be traded, but um, I'll just say that sucks for Bobby Ryan as a player. You know, he's a guy that I've always respected. I've always loved watching him play going back to the Anaheim days. Um, And honestly, you know, his return to the NHL last season, I think it was last season or two years ago when he, after he had checked himself into rehab, like that was one of the most beautiful sports moments that I've, you know, remembered, you know, one of the, it just, it just honestly was really beautiful to see him come back after struggling through what he struggled with and, you know, being able to come back, you know, scoring a goal maybe in his first game or a hat trick in his first game. I can't remember exactly, but um, that was a really beautiful moment. So um, obviously a feel for Bobby. Hopefully he can get back on the ice um, next season, hopefully, or maybe with a new team. It would be interesting to see. Um, he had seven goals, seven assists for 14 points, I think in 35 games this season. So um, unfortunately he'll probably not be traded. Um, but we will we will see. So uh, that's probably it for baseball. We'll get to the National Football League. Uh, the draft is getting closer, and uh, there's all kinds of stuff flying, all kinds of rumors and things like that. You know, I will just say, again, you know, and I always say this before any type of big event, you know, be advised that people can try to get you with, like, fake accounts and that's probably going to happen at the trade deadline for the NHL too. Um, but just be aware, you know, be aware that there's going to be all kinds of stuff, you know, flying in from different directions about which, which teams might be interested in who. You know, it really seems like the 49ers are very taken with Mac Jones, and it looks like they probably will take him third overall. But then again, you know, things can change um, because the draft is still a couple weeks away. You know, it's not like the draft is next week. You know, still have a lot of time. And, you know, the Patriots are a team that definitely are in a position where they could move up. But I also think, due to, you know, the 49ers being interested in Mac Jones and the Carolina Panthers trading for Sam Darnold, um, things might be, you know, okay for the Patriots if they waited at 15 and there might be some quarterbacks that fall naturally to them. Um, so... I think in terms of the quarterback conversation, you know, Justin Fields, I think, would be the guy I would like to zero in on if I'm the Patriots. I think Trey Lance would be another good addition, too. Um, Do I think they need to trade up? You know, maybe, but I honestly don't even think they might. You know, I think that they might actually be okay staying at 15. You know, I know that that's risky because then you're banking on Atlanta not to take a quarterback, but... You know, they've made it pretty obvious that they are willing to trade that fourth pick, which tells me that they're probably not really interested in a quarterback, because if they were, they wouldn't be willing to trade that pick, in my opinion. Um, And the Patriots very well could still trade into the top 10. I don't think they need to trade up to four, necessarily. You know, I think that that's a little too far, because I think Atlanta probably is going to want a lot of assets. And I think the Patriots do have a decent amount of assets, 
but I don't think they really want to be dipping into, let's say, next year's next year's draft, uh, which I wouldn't want to do either. I mean, I think if you're trading up into the top five, you are looking at trading first-round picks this year and next year, which, for the record, I am not comfortable doing if I'm the Patriots. So I think they could still trade up to, let's say, seven, possibly. Um, but I think, you know, Carolina, with them trading for Sam Darnold, it's probably fair to assume that they're not looking to draft anyone, but, you know, who knows? You know, I think that the Panthers could be looking at a similar situation that the 49ers are looking at with Jimmy Garoppolo, that they're hoping to draft a young guy and keep Garoppolo, that possibly could they be looking at at that. I don't think that's what they're going to be doing, um, but I guess it's a possibility. Um, I think Sam Darnold's a guy that deserves a fresh start and kind of a change of scenery. You know, I just really think that there were a lot of expectations that were put on him, some fair, some unfair. Um, But I think that Carolina is a decent spot to put him where there's not a lot of unbelievable pressure on him to perform. Um, But I also think the Jets came out pretty well getting a couple picks. Now, they probably didn't get as much as they probably should have. But, you know, seven picks in the first two rounds in in the next two years. In this, so they, that was confusing. They have seven picks in the first two rounds of the draft this year and next year. That's what I was saying. So first round this year, second round this year. First, the first two rounds of the next two years, they have seven picks overall. I don't know why that was difficult, but. Um, so the Jets, I think, are building up pretty solid draft capital, um, you know, to move up possibly in a later draft. Um, I think that, you know, they're at number two. They're probably going to select Zach Wilson at two, you know, kind of give them a, a new a new go at a uh, franchise quarterback. So it'll be interesting to see how that uh, turns out for them, assuming that that's the route that they go. Um, but again, I think that it'd be interesting to see what is kind of next for the Patriots, you know, what they think. Do they think a quarterback is the move in the first round, or do they go somewhere else? You know, I really would not be surprised if they go a different direction that maybe they want to think about getting a player like Kellen Mond in the second round or third round. Do they look at someone like, uh, I think Davis Mills, I think that's his name from Stanford. You know, do they look at someone like that? You know, I think that that's a possibility. And then do they go defense in the first round, which I think, if they don't draft a quarterback, that is what they're going to do. That They'll either draft um, someone like Christian Barmore from um, Alabama or do they or they draft a linebacker like a Micah Parsons or uh, Zayvon Collins from TC... No, not TCU. I think it's Toledo. I think that's the school he goes to. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they look at like a linebacker or a defensive lineman if they don't go quarterback. Um, I think for them... Justin Fields, I would be over the moon if they drafted a guy like that. You know, if you see him, the way that he performed at Ohio State, really tremendous athlete, really tremendous quarterback, um, and a guy that I think, you know, I think that he could translate pretty well to the NFL. I mean, I think he's not a finished product. You know, I really think if you look at the quarterbacks, Trevor Lawrence really is the only guy that I would say maybe he's a finished product, but... I have confidence in Justin Fields that he could be a really solid addition to this Patriots team. And he's a dual threat quarterback who, you know, 
if the Patriots play most of the season with Cam Newton, you know, go into the next season with a guy like Fields, they don't maybe don't really have to change much about their offensive scheme. So um, I think that that would be very interesting. I'd be over the moon if they selected a guy like that. I would be pretty happy if they drafted Trey Lance too. Uh, but yeah, possibility that they don't go quarterback in the first round. Um, one other football thing I did want to touch on, uh, Julian Edelman, there's some news that his knee is uh, not so great, and their Patriots are doubtful, or people, someone is doubtful um, that he'll be able, that he won't be able to play the entire season. Now, again, I don't really know if that's a founded report, if that's speculation, or if that's, you know, legitimate. Um, it's kind of hard to know, to be perfectly honest, and I don't want to, you know, disrespect anyone, but you know, I think that Julian is a guy that is going to want to play through that. Um, will he be able to? You know, who knows? But I also think that it brings up a conversation that should he be brought back? Um, and I know that he's been a guy that has meant just like so much to the organization. You know, not as much as Tom Brady, but pretty damn near close to it. Um, and a guy that just has been just a tremendous player and just a person for this Patriots team and this organization. You know, he's so much more than a player, so much more than just what you see on the field, so much more than just, you know, the touchdown catches in the Super Bowl. Um, And I think that if the Patriots do decide to go a different direction, it's going to be hard. You know, it's going to be hard for a lot of people in that locker room. It's going to be hard for the people in that organization that have, you know, seen him grow up and grow into, you know, one of the best wide receivers in the history of the game. Um, and I think that it would be a hard decision. It would be a hard decision to let him go. But I think the Patriots need to think about, you know, what's best for the team. Does it make sense to keep him around and kind of be that veteran presence? Or are the Patriots concerned about his health and do they decide to move on? So, um, I think that that is something to keep your eye on the rest of the se- the rest of the off season, um, and see what happens. You know, I think there probably is some value in keeping him around, but there's probably some value in you know cutting him. So um, I would not be surprised if he ends up being cut at some point in the in um, the off season or in training camp. You know, we'll we'll see. Um, and you know, I really think the Patriots are in a position where they kind of maybe need to. Um, start fresh at the receiver position and, you know, bring in some new blood and just see what they can do. I'm very curious about um, how Kendrick Bourne and Nelson Aguilar are going to do. You know, how does Nikhil Harry respond to new guys being in the organization? You know, how does he respond to, you know, being in some trade talks? It'd be very interesting to see if the Patriots end up trading him at some point. But again, you know, I think like Edelman, there's value in keeping him around and probably value in in dealing him. Um, So it'll be interesting to see what happens next for the Patriots with the draft. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think that this draft could get really interesting. You could see a lot of of trades that happen uh, with a lot of quarterbacks that are you know, that are available on a number of teams that are interested in, in, in a quarterback. So um, I think that probably does it for, for NFL. Uh, if you have any other NFL thoughts or any other thoughts at all, 
you know, feel free to uh, shoot me a message on Facebook. You can DM me on Twitter, um, any of that stuff. Um, so last couple things before we go. Uh, makes sense to uh, talk about the final four, so both the men and the women that uh, came to an end this past weekend. Um, the women was a really exciting and interesting final four. I thought that the, actually uh, their television ratings were tremendous. You had a lot more people that watched the final four, um, and so uh, you had Stanford and South Carolina. That was a really exciting back and forth game in that first final four. Uh, semifinal Stanford is able to get the win you know it's it was one of those games that just is like you hate to see one of those teams lose you know and I think that like very like very clearly I think when a lot of us watch college sports you know a lot of us aren't necessarily you know rooting for one team you know it's kind of like oh we're rooting for the team that we want to do well at our brackets um but I think like watching a game and not having a rooting interest is always just a very interesting experience, especially for me, um, you know, watching the games that I watched and, you know, seeing Arizona pull off the upset against UConn, I think it was great. I think it's great for the, for the women's game to see parody, you know, because UConn for years has been the team that's, you know, dominated the game, but it's good to see other teams win. And, you know, you saw Stanford beat South Carolina. So getting back to that point about kind of being a, a uh, person watching a game without a rooting interest, you know, Stanford gets the win, but I mean, I just, I felt, I felt awful for um, Aliyah Boston who missed the potential game winning shot, you know, at the buzzer. And, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, you don't understand how much college athletes put into the game and, you know, all the hard work, all the blood, literally blood, sweat, and tears they put into, you know, the season and how hard they work. And I think this season in particular, you know, has taken so much out of these players. And it just was like, you could see all the emotion, you know, coming out of her after she missed that shot. And I just, it was hard to watch because it's like, you know how hard these athletes work. And, you know, just to, to see something, you know, not go the way that a, a person plans to is just, it's hard, you know, and I really, really felt for her. Um, but, you know, Stanford played great. You know, it was a really exciting, really back and forth game. I thought that, you know, these games for the, for the women were tremendous. They were really exciting, close games. And then you had the championship on Sunday night um, that Stanford was able to win Arizona, missing a potential winning shot um, at the buzzer. But, you know, I think it's just tremendous for the women's game that you saw the ratings climb this season, and a lot of people were interested. A lot of people, you know, loved watching the tournament. I really thought that it was, you know, you went into the Final Four with some tremendous coaches that had done tremendous jobs um, with each of their teams. Um, so, you know, really exciting, really good stuff from, from the women's Final Four, and then the men's Final Four uh, was pretty exciting, too. Um you had the semifinals that, you know, Baylor dominated with their uh, really good defense against Houston. Um, it really just was never close. I think that Baylor, you know, blitzed Houston at the end of that first half, held on to win. And then Gonzaga and UCLA, possibly one of the greatest college basketball games I have ever witnessed. Uh, that game was awesome down the stretch. UCLA was tremendous 
I have to say, you know, Johnny Juzang, probably the most, like, surprising performance of the tournament. He was a guy that just played unbelievable. Um, You know, you can see why he went to Kentucky. You know, the kid can score and the kid can get buckets. And he was so much fun to watch in this tournament. Um, But Gonzaga, you know, comes up big um, at the end of that regulation and then you know, Jalen sucks. Like, it's just one of those things that, like, I don't know how to even describe what happened. That you know, Juzang gets that tying layup. Gonzaga just goes down the floor. Suggs just throws it up, and it's like, you know, there's no, there's no analysis. There's no anything other than just get the ball, throw it to the basket, and see if you get close. And he makes it. And I mean, just one of the most unbelievable endings. Um, to a college basketball game, but UCLA was awesome in that game. Um, and I really expect that they're going to be a team that's going to be back and be a really good team next year. Um, I believe that they're probably returning most of their players, so uh, no reason to believe that they can't be a team that um, plays at a really high level next year. Mick Cronin will be back. I think he got an extension. Um, as he's done a great job with that UCLA program. They really, um, or really, I think... I don't want to say overachieved because that kind of has some negative connotations to it. But I think like this is a situation where overachieving, I think, really is going to help that school that, you know, first four to the final four, first team to do that. I think since VCU, I want to say, um, you know, coming within a buzzer beating shot of going to a second overtime and possibly even winning. Um, So Gonzaga gets the win in that crazy game in that second semifinal. Um, but then Baylor just was awesome in that championship. Um, I know that some people would be like, oh, you know, maybe Gonzaga is not really a real undefeated team or, you know, whatever. I'm not even sure anyone said that. But, you know, it, this was a game where Baylor just played awesome and just played out of their minds and just played a really good, really solid basketball game. Um, tremendous shooting the ball, tremendous on defense held Gonzaga to, I think, their lowest point total this season, uh, 70 points. So tremendous credit to Scott Drew and everyone at that program. They really turned it around over a long period of time. Um, but they just had some tremendous players. Um, Davion Mitchell, I think, really helped his draft stock with a tremendous tournament. Uh, Jared Butler, obviously, was really good. Um, you just had so many different guys that could hurt you on, on that roster, and um, they just played awesome in that championship game. And I don't really think it was anything that Gonzaga did or didn't do. I just thought that Baylor just came to play and played a great game and, you know, a great end to a tournament that, you know, will live forever with, you know, how different it was and, you know, just and just kind of crazy that I think that a lot of people will remember that tournament for being the, the one with, you know, after, you know, the tournament was canceled last year, the one with the, uh, you know, different sites in Indiana, the, you know, kind of fan crowds um, and all that. Um, but I think just good ends to the tournaments for both men and the women. You know, I think that for the most part, they were able to successfully put on the tournaments um, without any you know, serious issues with the virus. I know that 
obviously uh, VCU, the men's team, did not was not able to play in the tournament because of um, COVID issues, and they were not able to play in their first-round game. So um, that was tough, and, you know, I feel terrible for that team and the players in that team and the coach that they weren't able to participate. So, you know, I think that, yeah, they did do a good job at not having many, any really, you know, not having a lot of games canceled, but there was one and that was really tough. Um, I don't think that the women had any games that were canceled. I could be wrong. Um, but, you know, I think that just, I would say good work by the NCAA, but I wouldn't really feel right saying that. Um, you know, I think you probably can guess what I'm talking about. Um, but, yeah, I think that it was, I'm glad that they were able to put the tournaments on without major issues like having the tournament having to be, you know, postponed or, or canceled or, or anything like that. Um, so we'll move on to our last little bit before we go. Uh, the Revolution will start their season next Saturday. I think it's in Chicago, and the Revolution will be on um, CBS and... Uh, I think it's called My TV 38, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think it's called um, whatever it used to be called back in the day when the Red Sox would have games that would be on Channel 38. But I think that um, the revolution moving from NBC Sports Boston to um, CBS and uh, WSBK, I think that that's the like station, if you will, for um, CBS. So the revolution will play some games on 4, some games on 38, so you can... Uh, watch some of their games. And then uh, the National Women's Soccer League is back. They have a uh, season that will start tonight and then go until early May. Um, so you may get an opportunity to watch some of the U.S. women uh, national team players. Um, I think that some games are on CBS Sports Network and then most of the games are on Paramount+. Plus. Um, so... Honestly, I don't know whether that's a free service or not. You can find that out yourself. Um, but yes, uh, soccer is back if you're into that. Um, so I think that probably does it Does it for me this week. Um, you can uh, follow the Facebook page for Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast on Twitter, at NotBoston. You can also follow the Facebook page. You can uh, listen on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. Um, Everyone enjoy the rest of your day. Enjoy the rest of the weekend. It's supposed to be beautiful. Um, And we will talk to you next time.